Hello and welcome to Trip Toes, a podcast about an accidental masterpiece. This is Nate with you today, and I'm very excited to present you with a special episode. Over the last several months, Andre, Lex, and I had a series of conversations with the director of Tiptoes, Matthew Bright. If you want answers to the questions, why would anyone want to make this movie? Who are the characters based on? Why is Gary Oldman on his knees? Where is Matthew Bright today? What was Hervé like in person? We have the answers here. I also want to make you aware of the fact that Matthew Bright is a very colorful personality. Um, I've done my best to uh, censor our language. Uh, the fact that's somewhat ironic, uh, given the story you're about to hear. But with uh, his permission, we will be posting um, these interviews and other content to YouTube, which you can see in their unedited glory. And we are just so grateful to him for taking the time to talk with us. So without further ado, this is our final episode. located now right now i'm i'm up in uh livingston montana okay. wow and i'll be here for a couple of more weeks maybe a couple of months i'm so uh, uh what can i uh what can i uh give you oh i mean this uh this is wonderful thank you for yeah making the time in the midst of everything you've got going um well first of all i was just curious you said you're working on a rewrite of something as a, yeah, a project. A of the thing I did. It's I'm I'm working with some people, uh, Milestone Studios, uh, and uh, I don't actually know who's making the film, but I'm on a deadline for it, and you know I'm just uh, hope hopefully I'll have it finished today. Wow, that's great. Yeah, so, so yeah, we won't try and take too much of your time because I know you got a lot going on. But um, this is already kind of touching on something I was going to ask you about, which is it's been uh unclear like are, if you've been working in the film industry the last uh several years or, or anything not really not really no uh, yeah i haven't been working uh since the uh since the breakup at uh with uh, these people over at uh, langley productions and uh, which i'll explain and uh but i've been having a good life and um i'm happy and uh i live in fun places like Myanmar and Thailand and Brazil and uh, dividing my time between those places and uh, playing music and uh, I'm having a good time. That's great. Yeah. yeah. So um, I was going to say there's a, um, so part of the reason I wanted to talk with you is like, I, like I said, I'm a fan of your, your, your movies and uh, I've been, uh, kind of following I, I don't know if you're aware of it at all just sort of like the the internet life of some uh -huh. some of these movies uh -huh. and there are a couple movie mysteries related to your work that i think we can clear up but 
Um, one of them was just related to where you've been. Yeah. Like what you've been up to since the Langley breakup. Like if it, if it was a, you know, um, I know, I, I think Chris, I talked to Chris Hanley and he uh-huh. said you, you had moved to, I think South America or something like that. And Brazil. he himself was in oh, Brazil. Okay. And he himself was in Kenya, I think, but he was, yeah. A, yeah. I wanted to um, visit, but I didn't get a chance. I, I made an internet, I had an internet romance going on and I had to go to Manaus and which is in the center of the rainforest and, and, uh, it's great, you know, love it. That's incredible. So you met, met this person, uh, this person online and that brought you out there to the rainforest. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. So I was, I know that you, it's, it's really interesting to me here that, that you're still playing music. I know that you were part of, uh, the mystic nights um uh way back when boingo, and, boingo, yeah yeah and that you were with uh danny and um Rich. richard and friends with all of them and that uh you're kind of it sounds like your career started with music mostly how did you how did you make that transition to film i know richard it was like the forbidden zone i, I, um, I wasn't really a musician or anything i just sort of became a musician afterwards and oh, really uh, yeah <laughs> and um it's uh yeah forbidden zone i forgot about that yeah we we did the forbidden zone and it, it was real fun it was a bunch of friends and we got together uh every uh weekend pretty much and made that film for like three years and along the way uh i found some actors and rick i guess found some actors i got uh hervé villachez and terrell and uh and he got viva and uh others and um yeah (laughs) what a movie um no i i wrote tiptoes when i was 18 years old i was a kid and uh still in high school and Mm -hmm. uh, i wrote this thing and uh it got some options i made some money on it just optioning it you know really yeah somebody would take the option every year for you know 20 years and and uh, then it, uh, and Jeff Bridges tried to get it made uh, with Billy Barty and stuff. We, um, and then uh, I got a call from this manager guy I had, uh, Brad Wyman. And he said, uh, Gary Oldman really likes this script you wrote. I go, oh, yeah, which one? And he goes, Tiptoes. And I go, oh, my God. I, I mean, I forgot it had even existed. It was just uh, out of mind at that point. You yeah, kind of revived. it had been yeah. out of mind for decades. And mm-hmm. uh, and Gary Oldman's into it. And I guess on the basis of Gary Oldman, suddenly he starts sending it out and we start sending it out. And uh, next thing I know, we had Kate Beckinsale and Matthew McConaughey and uh, what's her name from, uh, you know. Uh, Patricia Arquette. Yeah, Patricia Arquette. And uh, yeah. Patricia brought in uh, Peter Dinklage. And you know, it was great. And uh, then the movie fell apart. And I was talking to my stepfather and he said, I got this guy who lives next door to me in Mexico. He, he's, his name is John Langley, and he has this show called Cops, really racist show. <laughs> and uh, and um, they said, oh, we want to make the film. And, and I, I had a meeting with them and his wife, and his wife said, we, want, we love the, the message, the message of that, you know, love is love and all this stuff. And I don't know, she looked like this red-eyed hyena talking about like 
you know, the, 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 that we're all worthy of love. Yeah. So what? Everybody's worthy of love. So, you know, but anyways, and she sort of talked about it like one of those disease of the week shows they used to have in the seventies. Um, yeah. Just mockish and shitty. And I said, okay, well, you know, let's do it. And they said, well, we have to do it cheap. And I said, yeah, let's do it cheap. I don't care. And so I went to Kate Beckinsale. Well, I thought she'd be really great. She said, I'll do it. You know, minimum wage, SAG. Everybody was minimum wage. And uh, everyone, you know, including Gary Oldman and yeah, everybody. Yeah. Uh-huh. Wow. So was it mostly uh-huh. like a passion project then? Like, I was guess. everyone just kind of excited about the idea? Yeah. 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 And um, Kate says to me, I'll do the film for minimum wage. All you have to do is uh, let me wear my lucky hat. And I said, sure. So um, we get there on the first day and uh, she has her lucky hat. It's beautiful, you know, and she's a beautiful girl and she's wearing this beautiful hat. And I'm, it's, uh, we're, we're doing another setup, camera setup, and it's the first fucking hour. And this woman, the wife of the financier, He's like got red eyes and said, you got to take that hat off. And I said, I can't, you know, you got it. This is a business decision. And I, said, well, I still can't. And I explained it to her. Uh, she's this woman who gets millions and millions of dollars is doing it basically for a dollar. And all I had to do was promise she could wear her lucky hat. <laughs> I'm not going to tell her you want her not to wear the hat. You go tell her I can't yeah. do that. That's up to you. And I said, right. It's up to me. No, I'm not doing it. (laughs) You're going to be begging me. And I said, I'm not going to beg you for anything. And I'm not changing your hat. And if you want to fire me, do it right now. You know, we'll just wrap this movie up today, first hour. But I'm not going up and and taking off her hat. And you have no right to make such decisions. You know, direct a movie yourself. Write a script and direct it, and then you can tell somebody to take a hat off. But this is a business decision. I mean, she's just trying to hump my leg like a guy, you know? And and I said, no. And from then on, she was my enemy. Uh, on enemy. And they had this uh, uh, line producer on it who always works with them. And uh, Eli, Ellie Cohn is his name. And, uh, I didn't realize that he'd made a movie with a guy uh, that was, I was friends with uh, Donald Camel and they were, they took the movie away from him and pissed him off so much. He blew his brains out. I mean, he was so frustrated with these horrible, horrible people. And suddenly I had this John Langley guy being really nasty. And this, and these, these three people, the line producer, John Langley and his disgusting wife, And they're just wandering the set like three hyenas, you know, just making as much trouble as they can and trying to get actors, the movie stars to say, get rid of Matthew. And they wouldn't, you know, and I didn't even know about that, but that's what they were doing. They were like lobbying behind your back to the rest of the the production. Jeez. And then they all came to me and said, this is what these assholes are doing. And I said, oh, and they were like being abusive to my uh, crew it was just terrible, and because uh, of the, all because of a hat. And when the film ended, you know, which was just a nightmare, I tried to shield the actors from it and, 
as best I could and as my crew as best I could. And they always had people in tears, just, just nasty, nasty, horrid people. And, uh, um, as soon as I finished it, I worked for a couple of weeks on uh, my cut. Barely got into it two weeks, and I'm making like this. I'm making like this comedy. It's a comedy. And, yeah. But wild, kind of like the way Freeway was a comedy, and uh, they they fired me. Absolute no cause. They had no cause that they could write down. They couldn't write down that, uh, you know, I wouldn't change. I wouldn't tell that my actress that she had to get rid of her lucky hat. And, uh, so I saw like a few minutes of it and I looked at the, uh, I looked at their, uh, the, 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 uh, the sheet of the scenes they were using. And I realized that, he had given this film to his wife to edit so she would be, you know, feel, you know, not involved. So, yeah. And so she just, any scene that I wanted to use, she got rid of it and put in a different take. And, uh, I, I don't know, it just sounded awful. And this terrible music I heard two minutes from and just wanted to go. <laughs> and I mean, she's an idiot. And, and, uh, so, um, and I just said, I'm not, I'm not going to see this. And then uh, I got a call about Sundance. They're showing it at Sundance. And um, he flew up in his private jet with the three assholes, you know, three assholes in a jet. They fly to, you know, uh, Sundance. And uh, they have a big screening for it. And I came up afterwards on stage, which they didn't know was going to happen. And Gary Oldman had paid for the ticket you know, for me to get there. And I told them exactly what I told you. And they said, what do you want to do with, what would you like to do with these people? And I said, well, uh, this piece of shit is, uh, is you know, <laughs> forget it. And so they couldn't sell it. They thought they were going to sell it for a ton of money and I wrecked it and uh, I destroyed it. I destroyed the film. I took my name off as a writer because I'm in the guild, but I wasn't in the director's guild. So I couldn't take my name off there and they uh... used it some exploitation oh. thing and uh, i just walked away from that business after that and it wouldn't have mattered anyways i couldn't have got work well for a long time um because i would trash the film i trashed the film it couldn't be sold and anyone capable of that is you know that's the worst sin of all nobody wants to think that they're going to have an argument with a director or a writer and have them crush the film so uh they couldn't sell it and, yeah, so, so I'm not quite as familiar with the process of kind of uh, uh, production and then uh, moving it to um, distribution and stuff like that. So, mm -hmm. so they, this this was the way that it worked was that you made the film and based on like the I, I don't know who who would who would you be selling it to? Like, I guess I don't really. Well, you 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 sell it to a, a distribution company and they and you you uh, license them to sell to to show it in territories. Oh wow! Okay, I didn't realize yeah, that's still it how it works. Eastern Europe, it yeah. could be Europe, Spain, yeah, France, uh, you know, this, that, and, and uh, U.S., Canada, and sure. know, South America, and oh, okay, and so specifically international, yeah, because yeah. I know that was the way, like back in the or like a 
early film days that that was kind of how things worked too it's like but there were, it was even the u.s was divided divided up into regions and things yes. like that and different and, distributors correct and mm-hmm. um you know what so ever since you know the first the first residuals came in i don't think i ever got more than a dollar fifty dollar seventy five every six months so you know there so so i have a few more questions about this so uh the and you've kind of started answering them for me first of all so or you've, you've given me the start of answer so it sounds like you were always planning uh, uh on the film being a comedy so even yeah. when you were 18 you you wrote a, f- a script and it was supposed to be a comedy did you yeah. know any little people at that point in time yeah that- that's why i did it oh really yeah, yeah. I, I was roommates with Hervé billishay when you were 18 that's yeah. a, even back then okay wow yeah. okay i didn't know it was that wow. far back. i knew you lived wow. with him yeah that's and so he was the inspiration and um yeah we talked about it all the time and i was you know this guy's like he's <laughs> i mean he wasn't that like darling you know cute little fella the image of him after that fantasy island thing was nothing compared to what he was he was a he was a angry uh and there's a and Peter Dinklage is basically paying his real persona of of Hervé Villachez, who was in like, tiptoes, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this guy gets you in a fight in two seconds. He's a rabid communist and, and Bolshevik Stalinist, you know. Yeah, and, uh, I don't. I, I saw him so many times uh, getting in arguments that like started to get violent, and uh, yeah, you know, he, he's he was wild and and. Um, so that character, Peter Dinklage, I don't know if he even has that persona in the film anymore, you know. Um, he, he does. Yeah. No. So, uh, gosh, we have so much to get to. My theory for a while has been that it, it sounds weird, but no one's really thought about the fact that you were basing that character in tiptoes on Hervé, who you'd lived yeah, with. My, my friend. No yeah. one no one talks about that. No one like realizes that like this um the kind of relationship you guys had so the in the cut that we all have right now he feels like like this really anomalous strange character but like in a way that um that is like how do i put it like kind of harebrained like it doesn't it doesn't fit and but it's because the rest of the movie's cut in a way to be very sentimental and strange you know that's what that that idiot woman would have done yeah exactly so so yeah i just want to so First of all, you've answered that like he's based on Hervé, which no one has talked about. And that's kind of something I put together. The next thing is that the film is clearly it's like someone tried to put a rose tint over a kind of crazy comedy. Yeah. And so the film is like a, an unresolved it, the, the story. It, it's an unresolved um, combination of two things that couldn't go together. And it, it was just never going to work with that. Uh, with the expectations she was bringing to it. Well, so that was a moron that cut it. I mean, just a yeah. moron. And, yeah. and, 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 you know, how could it not? I mean, there's nothing good that she would bring to it. He's just a moron and a fool. Yeah. Could, and, could I ask really quick? Uh, so, so you you have seen the, the cut that's out there? No, I only or, saw a couple of scenes that had been cut on a machine, you know? Wow. Okay. okay. Yeah. So, so that's fascinating. Uh, also, quickly, uh, I was wondering, kind of full circle thing. Uh, Dinklage eventually actually played Hervé. Yeah, 
Did, did you ever see that film? Uh, I think it's my dinner, my dinner with, with Airbay. I never saw it. Okay, you should check it out. It. I would actually really love to hear what you think of it. That's it's a surprisingly good movie for what it kind of how it came about. I think yeah. he once I, I was I was sleeping and the, he he shot uh, six forty four Magnum bullets through the ceiling, and I guess I mean they went through my floor and through my ceiling. And I, I mean, I could have been killed easily. And, and uh, yeah, that's the kind of guy he was. The fact that he, it's like he played Hervé twice then, you know, that's really yeah. kind of fascinating. And he didn't even know it. Right. Yeah. Oh, so you, you'd never yeah. told him uh-uh. when he was acting out the part that that was okay. Wow. Oh, way. <laughs> Cause I didn't want him to get caught up in, uh, you know, the persona that Hervé developed for the public. You know this sort of oh like, yeah the kind of the, the knickknack cutesy uh, sort of yeah uh, yeah but it, you uh, know the the character stood on its own and you know it, it was uh, it was great I was happy I I didn't want to shake the apple cart or anything yeah and, yeah that let him kind of do his work yeah that that okay that's that's fascinating so what so Hervé was kind of a um uh like a intense like uh vaguely violent uh figure and uh he had sort of marxist sympathies um you were living with him when you were 18 was this yeah, between... off and on from 18 to 25 you were with him from 18 to 25 you said uh off and on we were off and on wow yeah. okay so was that like during the james bond days like or had that already happened do you know when... sorry when he played knickknack in um he, he i can't remember if he had the james bond role during that time but i know he was talking about going doing this fantasy island thing yeah okay and we were saying you know hell man you're gonna get really rich if you do this if it if it you know if you get a bunch of seasons you're in luck and, and yeah he did and, and uh, after that i didn't see much of him but he, he had some medical problems um and it started in his older age after our time together. He he got into great, great, terrible, awful pain. And I didn't and that also might have been part of his drug problem. The first time I met him, he was in this like fight. These two feral Warhol girls were trying to get the drugs out of his pockets and he was fighting with them to, to keep them away. They were in this movie called Bad. Uh, it's a Paul Morrissey directed no, Paul didn't direct that one. Someone else did, but it was a great film. And, uh, and with Carol, uh, Carol Baker, I think it was, or not Baker, Carol. Anyways, it's it's a rarely seen film. I think it's on uh, YouTube. Oh, really? Yeah. To, it's just called Bad. You said, yeah. Oh, Andy Warhol is bad, and I okay. think it's like a two hundred and. Uh, 56 kilobytes per second it's like really grainy but if you can print <laughs> it it's much better i mean you know. okay i'll check it out because there were some of those some of the warhol girls were in um uh the uh, forbidden zone as well right was it the yeah, same yeah. ones yeah okay so i i i, hooked, I was pals with susan terrell okay and that's how i met Hervé with those were they dating at the time when they yeah. or okay yeah, yeah. And Susan had just made that movie bad. And so there were Warhol girls coming in and out of the place. Like, you know, they were coming out of the woodwork. <laughs> that's how I met Viva and stuff. And, and okay. that's how I met Viva. And, and uh, so he got her, he got her for Forbidden Zone.
there's scenes in tiptoes where um yeah like i think morris is the name of the character is that right the uh the french marxist um i can't remember i think it's morris but it, uh peter dinklage's character he uh he maurice Maurice. Okay. That's it. Okay. Thank you. He's, he's like medicating essentially his pain. So was that something that you added because of like things you knew about Hervé essentially, like just the sort of coping mechanisms he had for his uh, condition essentially. Okay. He had the worst kind of dwarfism in terms of pain. Really? uh, Yeah. It's just ghastly. And uh, anyways, that's, that's, uh, that's, and that's a, that's a condition you don't want to get. And, and, um, you know, but he was a, uh, he was a violent, passionate man, Airbay. Mm-hmm. When I, in kind of pop culture memory, he's a bit of a, a blank entry. I don't think a lot of people, people know much about him still or, um, what he was about. Um, like you said, I think the image of him as the forbidden or not forbidden Island, uh, fantasy Island. Yeah. Um, uh, character kind of overshadowed everything. Um, so when, when you were riding tiptoes as an 18 year old and kind of like, uh, floating it around, um, what was it that like really excited you about the project? I mean, was it just like the thought of making like a really zany, crazy comedy? Um, no, or not at really? all. I, yeah. My comedies are kind of like, I know they'll be funny if I just do it, uh, you know, straight and, and like freeway you know yeah i didn't tell the actors that there was anything comedic in it i just said let's do it and some were worried it was going to be too heavy uh you know tearjerker <laughs> you know the poor girl and i don't do that i you know it's <laughs> and, and uh if there's comedy it just comes out of this situation and, and uh you know, there's no one-liners in any of my things. You know, there might be something incredibly vulgar that comes out funny just because it's there or mm-hmm. something like that. I, I think that was um, like that style of, of comedy um, was a lot more prevalent. I'd say like in the '90s, early 2000s, like or the you know, 70s. Even stuff like yeah, '70s. Like everyone kind of knew it back then. Of like, yeah, it's dark, but it's there's no jokes here, but it's funny. Um, And yeah, I I think nineties independent scenes still had a lot of that. Um, And then, you know, I'm thinking even, you know, there's some directors, people kind of get it like, Oh, this is dark, but funny. Like, I know like, like a David Lynch, like people kind of all understand that. Uh And then other people, it kind of gets lost of like, Oh, is this supposed to be funny? Is this person, do do they get the joke or not? Right. And I, I feel like it's very much not there anymore. Like, like you have to, it, it's like we became less sensitive to like those humorous situational moments. humor like that. I think, yeah. I, I think where it comes from is every good actor I've ever met is really funny. Yeah. I mean, they're really funny. If they're good, they're funny. And the better they are, the funnier they are. And if you let them, you know, just rip, you know, I mean, when you're working with actors that really have their chops, you know, I don't, I don't really, there's a, there's a place that I don't go in telling them what to do. And it's not pleasant, you know, cause it feels like they're hanging over a cliff or something, but I just let them do their thing. And they're funny, especially, you know, the Arquette girl, God damn, 
she's funny. Yeah. And, uh, but they all are, they all were. And, and, uh, so, uh, you know, that's, that's how it happens. If you let them, if you let them go, uh, a lot of directors, you know, are really controlling it on top of it. And, and, uh, you know, you don't get a chance to, to be funny or anything else. You have to be what the script is and only, and I just can't wait to, I mean, the character is always going to be completely different depending on the actor you use. Yeah. And, and, yeah, and, so why plan for one specific element when it's gonna they're gonna be bringing a lot to the table? Yeah, just as an a actor. lot, yeah. I, and I like them to bring everything. Yeah. And, and so I just write the lines, and, and they see the part, whereas somebody else would see it differently. Something I, I came across online is that uh, there's a movie that was supposedly being released in 2002 called Schwaz featuring featuring Billy Bob Thornton that listed you as the director. Do you know if that were, were you involved with any project by that name? Or I've was, never even heard of it. Oh really? Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well that's great. That's really easy to clear up then. Yeah, yeah, there were like all these rumors circling that this movie was started had been made and shown at certain festivals and that you were the director. So if it never heard of it. No. No, but is it any good? I don't think it exists. It's like kind of a lost piece of media after this no. festival. No one can find it. So that's sort of why I was curious. Yeah. We were kind of talking about last time how Tiptoes was um, vague. Parts of it were inspired by your friendship with Hervé. And I was curious, was were there any plans to cast Hervé in Tiptoes? Or was it like made with him in mind in any way or mostly just I think there was he... a, for a little while there uh there was a, a thought about it but then he got into uh he got into fantasy island and he wasn't about to do you know uh, uh r-rated movie at the time it was just a different time you know and, and uh you know it had a long life I, a lot of people had uh options on it i can't even remember how many people took options out on it um jeff bridges tried to get it made he couldn't do it you know and and uh, then it took uh, gary oldman or to to sort of make it happen just by saying he wanted to be in it and play a, yeah. a little yeah so i was that was actually my next question so um one of the sort of um controversial parts about the movie i guess uh, is people are you know, various levels of uh, self-righteousness as this tends to be. They, they question the, the decision to cast an average sized person as a little person. Um, <laughs> <laughs> do you know, like, could, do you mind explaining never, that train of thought or if that, or do you well, know? I never had an idea of, of having a uh, anybody but a little person in the role. But when Gary said that he wanted to play the role, I, I just jumped on it. Oh wow! So it was kind of his idea. He he liked yeah. the script and said he wanted to play Rolf, and he wanted yeah. to really. Uh -huh. <laughs> Do you think I don't blame would... him? I mean, I, I would, Matthew McConaughey would have been great in that role too. I must say, but uh, you know, I'm the guy who wanted uh, Anthony Hopkins to play Uncle Fester, so <laughs> it's just. Uh, I, I just think it would have been great. Uh, I, I thought, it, you know, Gary Oldman or any. Yeah, people get pissed off. There were a lot of 
uh, little people that were pissed off at me that were political, that were involved in uh, the little people of America, which was Billy Barty's, you know, brainchild. And Billy was totally behind the project, but there was some new guy who was sending me hate mail continuously when this was uh, uh, um, listed in Variety as an upcoming production, future production. And he started sending me hate mail all over the place. And uh, I really tried to be nice to him, but he, it was impossible. He was one prickly <laughs> and, and uh, he sent letters to everybody saying it was offensive and horrible. He didn't realize that the, the financier, you know, was immune to that sort of a thing anyways. He, I mean, he wouldn't even bother to read it. Um, uh, yeah. Basically, so, yeah. it was like having Donald Trump for your executive producer. Literally, <laughs> sort of unflappable. <laughs> yeah. yeah, unflappable psychopath, sociopath. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, you can't insult Trump by saying how disgusting he is. You can only do it by um, calling him a loser or something that wounds his narcissistic pride. No, so you know, and I wasn't about to cancel the movie because of this. <laughs> you know, I didn't care yeah. about anybody's politics i wrote it i did it in an honest way you know i wasn't trying to you know i don't know i don't know what he was thinking yeah so that was a that was another question i had and it like um you're really clarifying things for me but you know i think people when you encounter when you encounter a movie whether it's online or in theaters or whatever and you don't know where it comes from exactly whether like the the people behind it or um, the motivations for making it, people write right into, I, I should say, they read a lot of political motivation into making a movie. So yeah. like, so I think like the the question about tiptoes was is is if you had any sort of social or political goals at all with it. Like, I mean, zero, I, my, zero right? <laughs> zero. Yeah, I write from my subconscious, and that's it. And yeah the only variations are how much of my id I want to come out, and, you know, and, and I try not to hide anything because the subconscious knows and, and that's it, you know, um, but I've never had a, I've never tried to get a message across, not because of, you know, I think I'm artistically above that. I just, uh, you know, I, I, I guess I'm writing for the American people and I, I don't want to say anything to them. I have nothing to tell them or say to them or, you know, just write a good yarn and, and uh, you know, grab them by the short hairs and, and keep, them, keep them hypnotized and mind blown for an hour and a half. And that's it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense to me. I, so I, I had the chance to watch Freeway which I really enjoyed um, okay. that, I, that, that uh, the performance of um, Reese Witherspoon is, is incredible. So um, Isn't it? I, it's so good. Yeah. So I, I was just thinking like when I watched that movie that actually helped me understand a lot more, I was like, I don't, I don't see, you know, maybe there's a message in here, but I feel like if anyone was trying to read a message onto that movie too, you'd be, it'd be their own things that they're bringing to it and less. Yeah. The people, yeah. All these people came out and said, I'm trying to empower women, you know, or empowerment of women because she blew his brains out. And, and I never got those, I never got those uh, 
questions like, you know, about my empowerment of women in, in Europe. You know, they never gave that to me. And the French loved it. The French really loved that film. They liked and, Freeway? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it kicked ass there. Um, <laughs> that was where, I mean, if the world was France, I'd be like, you know, Tarantino or something. <laughs> yeah. That's true. And there's um, that Woody Allen movie where he's like, feels like killing himself because his movie bombed. And then it comes out, he reads the reviews from France and he is renewed. It's like a transfusion. <laughs> and that's how it was for me. My first review at Sundance, the, 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 it was really stormy and people couldn't get up there from the airport. And we had like a really smart, cool person from Hollywood Reporter that was coming up to do the review, but the guy couldn't get up there. So they gave it to somebody else and that person just hated the movie so much. Uh, so my very first review was like, you couldn't get worse. And I remember just feeling so bad, but you know, it was, uh, it, it worked out. Yeah. That's, I reread Freeway cause there's some people talking about doing a remake of it. Really? Not gonna, yeah. Which I'm not going to name right now. And they sent me the script to see if there was anything that was removed from it for, you know, some producers or whatever. And there was. Um, so I'm going to reconstitute the script as it was before it was like mucked up by, you know, some people, but a lot of freeway got out, you know, and people got to see it. A lot of what I meant to have there just a little bit was removed. Um, and also the censorship board, it's just, oh my God, what is it with those people? Um, I mean, you can do anything on cable, but you know, you got to go through this this Hayes code. From, yeah, draconian uh, old rules about <laughs> what uh, movies should just be. Horrible. <laughs> mm -hmm. And what they did, and I knew what they did to Natural Born Killers. I mean, if you look at Natural Born Killers, what was released, and then you look at Natural Born Killers as Oliver cut it, Oliver Stone cut it. I mean, it's the difference of night and day. It's it's uh, his his uh, his uncut version is is absolutely fantastic filmmaking and on every level every scene um and it's just brilliant and and uh and his his uh mastery of it and and i mean they really fuck up a lot of movies those ass and they are yeah do you find did you find when you were um in in the role of director and writer uh consistently that the problems you would run into would be people taking things out of movies like like, like the things that you you wanted to be in there and they would remove them sort of yeah. thing or did you find a lot of was it more yeah so some like, stuttering that, prick moron complaining about reese witherspoon's makeup in the first scene it looks like kabuki we're going shut the film down you know uh, i mean it, it's just these people, they should be working for carnivals or something. Um, and that it, it might be at the level that I've been working at. You know, I haven't really yeah. gotten into, you know, high level uh, like uh, Harvey Weinstein or something. Um, <laughs> but uh, where they get it or that fabulous guy who played the penguin and um, Batman. He's a wonderful producer. Uh, I'm getting old or something. Um, you know I'm spacing I, his name too. Uh, uh, Danny, Danny DeVito? DeVito. 
Yeah. Oh, that's what I was thinking of. I, I didn't know which penguin you were talking about. There's, oh, no, that's there's a, the penguin too. Yeah, the old if one. If you're going to get a producer, if you're going to get a producer, I think that's the coolest one to get. I mean, yeah. what a producer. He's great. And, what is, and what's so good about him or what makes him a better producer than other producers? Uh, Tarantino. Mm. You know? He works with him pretty often. I didn't know that. Well, he's worked with him enough and, and yeah. uh it's just it's just fantastic he's he's, he's great and uh, i wish i'd had him on uh, any of my films and i've never had like a great soundtrack i've always been sort of you know i've had a difficult time and i don't know what the at uh, langley productions you know put on their music wise but i'm sure it was atrocious I don't think you'd like it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah it's. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the trailer that they made for the film, but I think some no. of that music makes it into it, and it's. Yeah. It, it, I, I'm it's, not going to ever see it. Yeah, I, I couldn't. I just couldn't. Sure, just impossible. <laughs> um, so, so. This this kind of came up in conversation a couple days ago, but was a was Patricia Arquette's character in any way modeled after Susan Tyrell, or was that just a, a little bit? Yeah, really, because Susan yeah. was originally uh, set to play that. Really, that was Susan's role. Yeah. Oh wow! And, and by yeah. the time and and when that was happening, uh, uh, Patricia Arquette was in diapers, and <laughs> and and. When when she came of age to be able to play that role, Susan Terrell was you know sick, and uh, you know had a had a, her legs amputated and from diabetes and mm-hmm. oh god, um, so yeah yeah it, it was yeah. it was uh, Susan Terrell and that I was thinking of her for the role all the time I was writing the script. Wow, okay, yeah. that makes sense. So it's a, yeah, you have you actually have like a Hervé and susan relationship probably in the movie that was gonna in some form um, yeah i met susan terrell um on this film called uh, i never promised you a rose garden by with anthony page as the director okay about mental hospitals and stuff and kathleen quinlan was the lead in it and uh me and susan just hit it off like immediately uh, immediately <laughs> i was just a director's assistant a kid you know 18 years old and uh you know, between Susan and then knowing Hervé, uh, you know, it all, it, 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 it went through many forms before it yeah. was pushed <laughs> as film. Was a, so you were, you must have been a director's assistant when you were like 18 then, right? Yeah. Was it very yeah. young? Okay. So how did you, were, were you uh, like very proximate to like, just like Hollywood culture and the studios when you were growing up and able to get jobs working on films or how is it exactly you got I, I didn't get door? I didn't get my foot in the door really until uh, Oliver Stone read the script and and uh I guess he wanted to do it but he was you know willing I didn't even ask him he just was willing to let me do it and he would have taken it over if I couldn't gotten an actor and I couldn't get an actor until like boom uh, suddenly uh, one of the approved actors uh which was uh Kiefer Sutherland came on, so we were on. They didn't care. You didn't about really reason. get your start, you're saying until Freeway? Is that yeah. right? Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. I'd written one, uh, Drew Barrymore film that I wrote for her. I didn't know her, but mm -hmm. I was thinking of her all the time. And uh, a director by the name of Tamara Davis did it. And oh, okay. me and Tamara, yeah, me and Tamara were good friends. And, and uh, they said, hey, she said, hey, they're going to let me direct a movie. And, I, and she said, you got anything I can do? And I said, yeah, take this one. And she did it. It was called Gun Crazy. Uh, then after that, uh, I gave it to this assistant of, to Oliver, and uh, he just left it on Oliver's table. And then, like two months later, I got a call saying Oliver loves this thing. So you know, there's like the common thread of producers and financiers kind of being the problems in the, in the things you've made and tried to. They're make a terrible better. problem in all films. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, at, at a certain level, the best ones, mm -hmm. you know, let it happen and can recognize good stuff when they see it and not afterwards, but beforehand and they don't. And, and then there's the crowd that wants to get, you know, feel like they had a, had an effect on the film and just making a good film isn't enough for them. They want to do say, see, I did that. Yeah. Well, just for themselves, it's like a dog pissing on a wall and then, you know, people <laughs> smell it when they go by. So there's, you know, moments in every film that I've had to do with where I can smell their piss, you know, where they peed on it, you know, to, I was here, I was here. And, and uh, it's just human nature. It's how the world is, you know? Yeah. Especially filmmaking, it seems like, yeah, it's some, the passing graffiti that gets added to someone else's idea. Well, you can't have, you can't yeah. have a committee giving a film. You can't. You've... <clears throat> It's like war, a film, and, you know, two generals, two good generals are going to get beaten by one bad general. It's, it's uh, you know, and there's a lot of generals in the film. There's, uh, there's costume, there's, uh, there's art director, they're generals, and, and uh, you know, there's a bunch of them, and so are the producers, and unfortunately, in our corporate uh, rules of corporation in the United States, it's like, you know, the guy who controls the uh, funds, even though it's not his money, he's the one who, you know, can dump on anybody and, and you know, call shots. And, and that's what they do. So I, I realize that we are going to have to do a little bit of um, translation between you and I, because I have seen the theatrical version of Tiptoes and you have seen well, you you created it and you had the idea of what it what you wanted to be. So I don't know how much things overlap, to be honest. I don't know what the where the plots align, where they deviate, things like that. Um, there are various uh, questions I have about the theatrical cut that if they're I'm curious if they like I said, if they line up to what you planned. So I saw a picture from the production because Chris Hanley sent me a bunch of stuff. Uh -huh. um, and it looked like there was a scene where like uh, Matthew McConaughey was having an affair or something like that. Yeah. Um, was that was isn't a uh, Matthew McConaughey having an affair? Is that part of the original plot? Uh huh. OK, that's yeah. not in the movie. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, he's uh, <laughs> he, he's he's uh, flipping out because he doesn't want to have a. a little person offspring and uh you know he's got a problem and it's his it's his self it's his self image and and 
he's uh you know he's he's got a problem he's like a self-hating jew or a self-hating black man or you know one of those people but he's a self-hating little person and he can't handle it and uh i don't know that he gets he gets uh redeemed or anything from his problem but at least the problem's identified you know that's there and and that's really all i wanted to do and and uh in this in the plot uh sure not to say anything but i mean the characters have have uh, uh, things in common with you know real people. It's human nature, and and, uh, and then uh, I had uh, you know Kate Beckinsale run off with uh, Gary Oldman. Um, okay, so that was in the original as well. Is that how the is that how the the movie would end essentially? Is with yeah. them together? Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay, so that did uh, happen. <laughs> yeah. But it's still uh, it's it's still adultery and and uh, and with a brother yet and and uh, you know so it's 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 some gnarly stuff but that's I, I didn't do it for any moral uh, I just wanted to make a movie that was fun yeah and it, and it came out of deep you know somehow and uh, it was my first one and first script. I never had planned on being a writer or thought about it or anything. And, uh, and I, I just, I just, uh, I just wanted to make uh, every scene have make sense. That was really my great, my great hope. And, and I still write in the same way. I don't know what I'm going to write next from page to page. I have no idea. I have no plan. It just, it just uh, comes out and, I, I'll write a I'll write a scene. They're all characters. I'm just trying to drop do the characters and and the plots are just something to hang the characters on to and and so I'll write something and 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 then I sort of think, well, what makes sense for the next scene and the next and the next after you know one by one by one until I get like two hundred or three hundred pages and then I can sort of get a view of it of what I'm doing and then I pare it down to like one hundred and twenty and and there it is. Yeah, it's a process of like, yeah, building everything and then sort of culling it and shrinking it down to what you like and what you. Yeah, that's my process. Yeah, yeah. I can't do that, you know, storyboards, you know, before it's written. I can't, uh, you know, those uh, screenwriting um, schools. Yeah, you know, templates they, and stuff. Yeah, it, it's terrible. Plus, they're uh, programs too. And so you can't like pack in a million scenes without the budget for it and fool the producers and everybody else, you know, so, <laughs> and then like uh, expand the margins, you know, just a little bit. It comes out actually towards the end and have like a couple of lines at the bottom and a couple at top. So, you know, they don't notice it. The smart ones notice it though. Um, but, oh, mean, so that that that's like a writer's trick to make sure that you can like. Uh... I don't know, but it's my trick. <laughs> <laughs> so what you end up with is you're shooting all day, and then like at the end of it, they're they're like, "God, what a day! That was a really hard day. Um, I was so tired last night I couldn't drive. You know, um, I go, God, how'd that happen? I was tired too, you know, but they didn't realize that I sort of like." Machiavellian like you know <laughs> slip as much work as I could for that you know and so everybody's exhausted and like they everybody feels like they have mononucleosis or something by the second <laughs> week 
but <laughs> it's mean. It's not good, but I don't know that anybody's ever going to let me direct again anyways. So. Writing novels. Are you really? Yeah. Oh, that's excellent. Yeah. Good. Could you talk about that a little bit? What, what, what's that been like? Yeah. Well, I wrote it and I don't know how to, what to do with it now. I have no idea, but yeah. I've got like a really cool book. It's uh, it's sort of like our gang, but they're the cartel kids. <laughs> they're kids. They're taken from real life. Two of them. There were two like 14 year old killers. And I made them into one. And, uh, and I added all these children that he gets a hold of and he turns them into themselves. And it's how they all go from like, well-adjusted 12-year-olds to, like, really perverted, degenerate 14-year-olds. It's a cool book. It'd make a great movie. Um, but it's too big to make into a single script, so it would have to be, like, a cable show or something. I can get it published right this minute if I s just send this contract in with my signature on it. But one guy who's, like, 80 years old, and he said, this is the most transgressive piece of fiction I have ever read in my life. I didn't know what transgressive fiction was, um, but he said it is the most transgressive thing. And he, he was in shock that he couldn't get it, get it sold. So, oh, really? Uh, so he was saying transgressive as a, as a compliment and yeah. then he was surprised that he couldn't. Okay. Wow. He could, yeah. he, he said, it's sort of like if, uh, if Marquis de Sade was writing um, a detective novel for like the fifties or something. It's my it's my masterpiece, you know. There's nothing else I've done as good. So this is entirely self-serving. Um, but I would really, really love to see a director's cut of I have one in storage in Los Angeles. Oh, you do? Yeah. And I'll be going to I'll be going to Los Angeles within the next six months and pick it up. I'll grab it for you. Would you would you really? I would I would really love that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, you'll see I, what it was supposed to be, but it's you know it's a primitive cut in that I don't really have cutaways. You see the person do their line, then the next person does their line, and you know, boom, 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 boom. There's yeah. no, uh, but that was just to pare it down into something that I could you know edit you know further. If I can find the yeah. script, I'll send it to you. I yeah, would that's really what I love that. Is yeah. I am just enthralled with the idea of being able to read your script knowing what Gary Oldman and what um, Nathan remind me the name of the casting director. Oh, uh, uh, Fern Castle and Peter yeah. Dinklage all said that they loved the script. Yeah. It was like one of the most beautiful scripts they've ever written. And like that just really yeah, has it piqued was a cool script. Yeah, it yeah. was a cool script. And I'm, and I, and I'm sure it just was not appreciated in any way, shape or form by that woman. So, <laughs> yeah would you would you have any interest in like um i don't know like i i guess what i'm trying to get a the your temperature on is if you'd have any interest in like the record being corrected on tiptoes like whether like if there was oh, very any much interest, so would you really yeah oh yeah, wow. you can okay. write every, you, you, you can put everything in here yeah, but I mean, even beyond that, like the, I guess the way to put it would be like, I think that there would be that. So the movie has a cult following right now. And uh, I think it's for reasons that you would actually appreciate, which is just that I think it, it's, it's nuts. It's yeah. nuts. Yeah, it's nuts. Yeah. You know what I mean? 
And yeah. the cool thing is, especially if you know what freeway is, if you think of tiptoes as being something like that, then uh -huh. you can really get a sense for what it could have been. And I, I, I'm much more excited about that. But the, uh, so I, I, what I'm getting at is I think that there would be a pretty established interest in like some kind of formal release of a director's cut. If you ever felt like doing that or some or anything. Uh, oh, I'd love to get a director's cut. Or any kind of commentary or anything like that where you could do like, I mean, I know you have no interest in seeing the theatrical release, but God, it would be so funny to just knowing you a little bit here. I would love to hear you complain through the theatrical cut, you know, like the, the anti-director's commentary of <laughs> what, the, what ended up getting made. But I understand that that's painful and sensitive and I wouldn't want to force that on you. But Well, if uh, it would cause yeah. pain to that, those people, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean i think like i said there there is definitely i think an interest in uh in just what uh what tiptoes could have been um was that the original name all along too i've actually always wondered yeah. that yeah, tiptoes? Yeah, yeah even this i think corrects the record in its own way but i would I'll say, I'll, i would sit through it to have my commentary on it yeah would you really Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I I want to try and help make that happen. It, it, and I I don't know what you would be how you would want to do that or in what form, but I would love it if you could like profit off of it somehow. I'm sure that you would be happy with that are in there. I don't know if they're but I can tell you with absolute certainty that it doesn't make sense and I know that's something you cared about. So it'd be interesting yeah. to hear if you yeah, where you feel like the hiccups are and where the like the the other things sure. have been sure. reset and things like that. But it just, you know, I, I made a world and it's Los Angeles and I thought I'd, you know, make it egalitarian and make the little people just like the big people. And so, yeah, they could, it's Los Angeles, it's in the Hollywood Hills. So as I mentioned, you know, the, the film is kind of something that's uh, analyzed in the state that it is. And with the information that people have, um so this is a silly thing and i don't even know if you'd remember but like is the significance of matthew mcconaughey being in the navy like is that or having a background in the navy does that matter at all or does is that something that you um I don't remember but, i don't even remember putting it in there but. Oh, okay fair enough yeah because um someone uh, i think had a, a the thought that maybe like you were talking about uh, Matthew McConaughey's character being sort of self-hating little person. Um, people were talking about how, because it's hard to figure out Matthew McConaughey's motivations that maybe he was a, um, he had trauma or something like that, I guess is, or something. It's, not trauma, it's, just, it's just people get self-hate if you get, I mean, we've seen it with so many black kids and black people and, and, and uh you know jewish people if you're a minority it happens and and said so that's all it was um mm -hmm. it wasn't and it could have been fixed but you know guys there are so few happy endings you know everything turns to shit and then we move on and hopefully next time it won't be but you know movies have to have this you know this this kind of you know everything's going to be all right well no Closure. it's not
Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is no closure until you're dead. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we just, mm-hmm. we carry our, uh, we carry those things and they build up and build up and build up and thankfully we die. <laughs> <laughs> what were you going to uh, say, Andre? Yeah, um, I had an interpretation of the film and I spoke with Lex about it and we both had kind of a similar interpretation and I'm kind of worried to say it because I know, you know, you're saying you don't have any grand ideas about it, but I think it kind of goes along with a little bit of what you're saying is that, you know, at the end of the film, uh, Kate Beckinsale's character chooses um, Matthew McConaughey's brother who, you know, physically is diminutive, but like in terms of his intellect, in terms of his like confidence in himself is a much bigger person than, you know, all the ego problems and like the self-hatred that his brother has, Uh, even though he's physically smaller, he's kind of, I don't know, bigger as a person in a lot of ways. And it's like, that's why she chooses him instead of, you know, the, the classically, you know, attractive, handsome man who's kind of emotionally centered. I think the reason is, is she's, uh, all about her kid it's mm-hmm. all about the kid and uh obviously it's not going to work out if there's a kid that he's throwing this pathology on and freaking out about and then he's she's got another one that is going to be happy with it and and she's like this anti-abortion chick so um she has to have the kid so i didn't because if she wasn't she'd probably you know do something and and uh I'm totally pro-abortion, you know, if people want to get it. So, you know, it's, I wouldn't have gotten along with her, but there was much that I could admire about her, but not that I'd admire about a right-winger. So, so she's with, she, I think 80% of her running off with Rolf as opposed to Rolf's brother was because of her child. You know, she's a fierce and loyal mommy, mm-hmm. that character. Carol. Yeah. Carol, yeah. This is a completely random thing. So I uh um so when I was researching the film initially, I came a Chris Hanley was one of the first people I was able to get in contact with. And I read through his um his bio on IMDB and it sounds like it's like a, the backstory of like an incredible historical figure. Do you does do you know does he have like a like a background in like neuroscience a background in neuroscience but also he's he's connected with every single person i've ever heard of in film really yeah Yeah. in in some way or other although i did bring him Oliver stone which which made freeway possible yeah i love he made my dip into hollywood possible it was fun you know while it lasted It's crazy to me that you were connected to so many people at different points in time, but then you didn't re- direct like Freeway until 96. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you, yeah. <laughs> so uh, it's like you, I never you knew thought it. I never thought they'd let me direct a movie. And I liked writing and I thought, hell, you know, maybe I can do this really well. I'm really not set up for anything else, you know? Mm-hmm. And, so, um, you know, I wrote and I get, got kind of good at it. 
um, but not enough to get like professional work. And, and that's the wrong word, not good enough. Um, you know, these guys, they got to write a script in six weeks or seven weeks or eight weeks, and they do it by the beat. You know, they, they, they're professionals and they know mm -hmm. exactly what they're doing. And like I said before, I, I don't know what one page is going to be to the next. And I just know I get to a certain point and I have to wrap it up and, and just do these characters. And I was, the thing that helped me was being steeped in literature. I was a big, big, big reader as a kid, mm. really big reader. And um, that was my, most of my existence so um you know i had a i had an edge in that way and it allowed me to uh you know um have stuff that would be read by people that that i got a reputation as like a, an artist a real guy and um they started looking and a lot of people tried to get my movies on um but nobody really uh in the financier world or in the uh in in the um high-end pro uh you know studio people they didn't get it and uh and then i guess my i only had really one piece of luck one and that was oliver stone reading a script of mine and that that got me uh that got me in the door as a director mm -hmm. uh, you know i got to direct four films and one of them you know was aborted in at in the editing room before it it got going for me so uh you know, but that's that's how I did it. Uh, you know, I don't know if they'll ever let me again. And frankly, I'm 70 years old. I'll be dead soon. So, you know, I, I, I don't really even think about it. It's yeah, it's not the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. At this Maybe point, it's not like something you're chasing anymore. Um, yeah. yeah. They the, did a study that people who uh, writers, for instance, uh, and musicians, and they're talking about people from, you know, way back, not, we're not talking about rock stars or anything like that. Um, they're all in it for uh, getting relationships going, you know, with, with mm -hmm. women or women with men and stuff like that. And I've, uh, I've done all that. And I am 70, you know, I'm not, I'm not chasing tail, I'll tell you. And <laughs> I have my girlfriend, and I don't expect I don't expect I'll ever have another one. Um, so I better not fuck it up. I'll tell you that. And mm -hmm. and uh, and um, so it's not. I, and I don't have this burning ambition anymore. I enjoy writing, and I do it, and that's really the only the only reason. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I turned into old guy. <laughs> but happy old guy that sounds like a good place to be i mean uh did you do you think like what they were when you said the study found that people were like pursuing those things for relationships is that why you were doing it at all or would you I say think that so yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I mean what else i mean you know i i'd like to be remembered but i'd rather i'm talking about myself as a younger man i mm -hmm. it'd be nice to be remembered and you know get a nice table at the restaurants and all that but I was much more interested in having like a girl from art school, you know, getting in touch with me via the internet and and like talking to her and having something happen wonderful. And, and those are really my best moments. I mean, when I die, I'm not gonna be thinking about my movies. I'm gonna be thinking about 50% of the women I've loved and uh, the animals I've loved. And mm -hmm. that'll be it. <laughs> yeah. And, and my kids, that's, that's Greek history, 
ancient Greece, um, and before uh, anything that could be is like considered a novel, Gilgamesh, all that, uh, Roman history, uh, Byzantium history, uh, uh, all those people, the, the Roman writers, Sallust, he was my favorite. He was the first psychologist. Everybody who did these books in those days, since they were first, they were like the father of, you know, these these uh, these styles of literature. Of course, the Greek playwrights, mm -hmm. uh, um, you know, people that existed, uh, the Peloponnesian War. You know, there's not one female in that whole book. Um, they're like that thick, but that was, you know, just one of them. And, uh, you know, I loved Robert Graves and, and, uh, I loved Hemingway. I loved, uh, uh, I loved Assad. I loved, uh, I didn't discover Nietzsche until I was older, much older, an adult, it really. Um, and, uh, uh, I was interested in military history, uh, very deeply because of uh, JFC Fuller. He was a general, crazy guy taking psychedelics and, and stuff in World War One, um, experimenting with uh, mushrooms and uh, and uh, laughing gas. And he he played around with uh, fascism a little bit in World War Two. So he kind of got a bad reputation. He, he kind of lost his mind. And uh, he was the closest thing to an acid head. But also he invented Blitzkrieg. Hitler took it from him. He met him once. And Hitler said, I read your book. It was really great. He's standing there with Guderian. And, and the general said, well, I certainly hope you don't have occasion to use it. And they did. Um, but he, he basically felt that all human history was uh, colored entirely, if not all of it in its entirety, was military history. Who kicked the shit out of who? And he, he considered these wars as civilizations pollinating each other. Um, and, and that Europe was created because of geography of that Mediterranean and this peninsula sticking out. And because of geography, Rome became the head of the world. And, and uh, so, I, you know, I followed it and religions, Islam, um, Christianity. And I guess my favorite and my king, my most beloved writer was Dante. Oh, really? Um, I guess yeah. I've reread Dante once a year, every year since I was 10 years old. Um, That's crazy. And I could only read The Inferno when I was young. And it I had to grow up a lot to get into the Paradiso, uh, well, from Purgatorio and then to Paradiso, because I didn't have the capacity to, to even grasp it. And... and um, you have to get a little bit of maturity going on and, and you know, and you have to get a good uh, translation. There's only a few really great ones. Uh, that would be John Chiardi for the first, first one. And uh, Martin Isa and uh, Dorothy Sayers. And that's really it. And before those people came along, I don't know how anybody who wasn't speaking Italian could, could even look at it because it was horrible. I mean, duh. <laughs> hated Milton um but uh yeah that's that's where I was when I was like 15 so um I was I was uh had primed myself because I had no education and I guess my favorite filmmaker at the time was Sam Peckinpah I knew he was fucked in the head I mean I knew he was fucked up 
but I liked it. You know, I liked that um, he was able to put all his pathology into film. And, and I mean, he was great. He was great. He only made one bad movie. He even did a TV show called The Westerner with Brian Keith. And they cut him off after like eight episodes. And that was the end. It was too twisted. But if you ever get a chance, I think you can see it on YouTube. Look at what he does. He, what a great filmmaker. I love it when filmmakers are meshed with uh, with uh, literature and, and, and their writing, you know. He was a great writer. And uh, Tarantino, his secret weapon is, I think he's the best writer in America right now, independently of, of film. And it, it gives everything he's got just these rockets, you know. Um, he's not just a filmmaker, he's a writer and, uh, and among the best this country's ever produced, I think. I, Jim Thompson is the only one I can think of that comes, that, that stands on his level. And, uh, and of course, the most modern one, James Elroy is great, although he sure wrote a shitty novel recently. I, <laughs> I tried to read it. I couldn't even get through halfway of it. I, I hope he's not burned out. Mm. Who is this last one, one you said? I was looking up some of the uh, Peck and Pop, but I, I can look at it right here because I have it on the, on my phone. And uh, God, what an awful book! How could he do that? Because I mean, he's and he, he did a couple at the very beginning, uh, yeah. over, which was just made me yeah. want to vomit for three weeks. Um, Oh, it was just gross. It was like men making out with bad breath, you know, and, and they're serial killers and stuff. Oh, God. <laughs> it, it was just revolting. Um, <laughs> this book he did is, uh, what's wrong here? Uh, James Elroy, This Storm. Definitely. I yeah, love the I've idea got... of of doing a, a a narration over a copy of Tiptoes and discussing it. <laughs> okay, if you're bringing that up on your own, I'm not going to fight you on that because I uh, that's my dream. Um, well, I so, have to go to Los Angeles first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, the so I mean the trouble. I mean, Andre and I talked about this a little bit uh, uh, separate from our conversations, but I mean, obviously, um, whoever produced your movie. Uh, the theatrical release probably still ha is going to hold on to the rights of everything. It's not like we could formally, we would have to work with them to do anything more formal than that. But something that you could do um, without, uh, and it would count as fair use and commentary, would uh -huh. be to just narrate over the theatrical release separately and, and produce that like audio file and release that to be, to go along with people. So if people wanted to oh, watch separately. it with yeah, exactly. Yeah. It could be released separately and it would be, it would count as under, you know, it would be fair use because kind of like a, kind of like a separate subtitle, uh, uh, file. Ex that you exactly. Exactly. Right. So it would be, it would be like the equivalent of like, I mean, it, it, I think it would be obviously much more interesting and more important in a way, but like it would be like a mystery science theater sort of thing if you're familiar I with should that. actually sit in a i should sit at a uh the front row of a movie theater with like <laughs> you know, a couple of household goods my cat and i'll talk 
Yeah. Well, this is the part where Cuntface came in. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But I think, yeah, I mean, it, you know, there's various ways it could go where it'd be, you know, to release it to YouTube or try and find out some way to do it more formally, but or like more um, with, with more publicate, uh, publicize it more. Um, and then obviously, I mean, I'm sure you would know more about this than we would, but like, if you ever wanted to try and get like the director's cut more formally released, I'm sure there's like a lot of red tape you'd have to go through to do that. Right. Like it would, oh, it's not something you could just put on the internet or that you could just independent independently start. Yeah. And I don't have the, uh, I don't um, have the, um, I don't have the, uh, the the film i physically you know to or even videoly you know to put in the to to cut to edit Mm -hmm. because i only had two two weeks not even i don't think i told you this at any point matthew but the um the reason so i i listen to podcasts fairly often and that's part of the reason i decided to make one about this topic but the other reason is um i had like i had started connecting the dots with this movie um years ago actually like it's been something i've <laughs> of all the things to get interested in i would think about this for since i was uh like 18 or something um and i had like pitched the article to various publications where i was like i think i can write a really interesting article about this to various film publications and I'm a, I'm a, I'm a decent writer. I'm not much of a, I don't have much of a journalist pedigree, but I'm an academic and I, uh, I couldn't get people to bite on it. And I, to me, it was just too interesting of a story to not do anything with. So I, I roped some friends in and we started researching uh-huh. it a little more and figuring things out. Um, but that's, that's the extent, uh, that's kind of what motivated it. Um, because yeah. I don't know if that happens with you at all, but it was just one of those things that sort of stuck in my brain. Um, so I, uh, I watched the movie originally because someone showed it to me as like, like as a novelty in a way that like, this is a nonsensical movie. <laughs> you know what I mean? Aww. Like, like you'll get a laugh out of watching this. Mm-hmm. And I really did. But the more I thought about it, the more I was like thinking about like, this isn't, I don't know if you've ever seen like The Room. Do you know what that movie is? Have you heard about it? Tommy Wiseau. Um, I haven't. Okay. That's all right. No, it's not important. But like there, there are examples of movies made by idiots. Do you know what I mean? Like people who should not have been making a movie and they ended up making a movie and it's horrible. Uh-huh. Um, and it's just bad because it's they're bad at what they're doing and they're not very smart. I could tell that that was not what happened with this movie. And it was kind of and that was what I was trying to figure out was like why it turned out badly. And there turned out to be very, I found more and more interesting reasons um, why it hadn't turned out. And so that's why it kind of brought me to the point of reaching out to you <laughs> even independently. Uh, but uh, so uh, actually, when uh, you're out there having a smoke, I was talking to. Um, Nate, about uh, right now, I'm I'm trying to put together a, a kind of little presentation for a film that I'm putting together. And this conversation, all these conversations we've been having, have been super interesting for me because uh, that question of you know holding on to your creativity, and then once you get people with money involved, having to let go of a lot of that, and you know 
right now there's a lot more freedom, even with what we're talking about with podcasts, where if you have an idea, you know, if you have a book, you can self-publish it. If you have an idea and no one wants your article, you can do a podcast. Um, it's like, even if you have a movie, you can try to make the movie, you know, on your own. Now you don't have some of these barriers that you used to. Um, but you also can't do it to the same level, right? To the same degree. Um, and I was just kind of curious what your thoughts were on, you know, because for me right now, I'm looking at it and wondering, you know, is it better to hold on to creativity, to, to hold on to your point of view and how you want to do it and make it make a product for cheaper? Or is it better to, you know, have these conversations with money people who, you know, eventually might <laughs> you in the, <laughs> at the end of the day? Yeah. To, yeah. And they will, too. And they, yeah. Yeah, I think it's better to go cheaper. But, but you know, it depends on the, the circumstances, and, yeah. you know, the there's a lot of times where you get uh, uh, conditions and and uh, and things that seem impossible to do that are demanded. Now, some things like making Amanda Plummer and a trick sex sexy and sensual, you know, right? Was right. Just absolutely absurd. You cannot, <laughs> you know. That's that's that's. You know, but then you could do it, maybe, you know, you just have some really schmaltzy music over it. And, and like people feel like they're on a mega hit of LSD or something after that. But, um, you know, it, it's when you're forced to do something, it's amazing what you can do um, right. and make it right. Uh, but you have to, you know, trust that, you know, you'll be able to 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 handle it um because it just sounds so awful at first and and that, i mean that was just the most awful order i've ever received for a film yeah. i mean oh god uh, how how would you do that you know <laughs> this is it. and fortunately i had oliver you know to say are you out of your mind you know so uh, i didn't have to go there but yeah. um, I, I saw an uh, interview uh, with Oliver and you, uh, talking about freeway and you really get the sense that, you know, he kind of understood your vision and he understood, you know, what made your script work and, and kind of the uniqueness of your voice. And, you know, it's, it sounds like even what you've been saying, like having someone like that who is in a power position, uh, to be able to say, no, leave the, you know, leave the artist alone, let him do his thing. Cause, you know. First, only time I've ever run into that. Mm -hmm. Only time. Never seen it anywhere else. I mean, he's, he, he's unique. You wouldn't think so. But, you know, he, he was, and, or maybe I've just been unlucky, but, um, I've never met a, a champion of, uh, of, of the good in, in the film before until, uh, you know, until I met him. And, and I guess, you know, film just by nature of what it is, it, it, it has to be a collaborative art form. Um, and so compromise yeah. is always going to be a part of it. And it, it, it seems like that's kind of the, the big question a director has to like constantly be asking himself is at what point do I stand up for myself? And at what point do I listen to these ideas? And yeah, but you don't have the biggest fucking idiot in the room thinking that they're entitled to like, just run their vision, you know? Right. I mean, fucking moron. I, I had one guy tell me, uh, the first within 15 minutes of meeting him, he told me he was into feet, feet, foot fetish. 
Yeah, yeah. And then he's talking <laughs> about like uh, the, the interpersonal relationships of two lovers in a film that I'm doing, and and uh, I, I mean, I just didn't want to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he wanted you to have more feet in your you know, <laughs> love well, scenes. He, yeah, he wouldn't do that. But he would have if he could have. But he didn't. He didn't even go there. But still, all his uh, all his advice and and demands for you know how to make these relationships work. I couldn't think about anything but feet. So, um, <laughs> you know. I had to bust him on it, and I, I just finally I just said, "Yeah, but you're just into feet," and and that sort of shut him up because everybody like suddenly got it, yeah, you know, and where he was coming from. Um, it was like, God, remember that movie Powder? Oh yeah, yeah. Holy shit! Yeah. Um, <laughs> when you know that the director had been busted for child molestation, suddenly, suddenly. The whole film made sense, and it wasn't yeah. a nice sense. No, that's right. Uh, I guess following up on that question, it, it's you made a, a point, I think, about um, Sam Peckinpah, where you can kind of tell who that director is and like what's going on in their mind when you watch their movies. Um, and I, I've always liked directors who give off that sense too. It's like you're almost like you're revealing almost like a secret about yourself, and like in the art that you're making, maybe something that you can't even express in other ways. Um, do, do you think, you know, with the films you've made, the scripts, the books, that that there's any underlying, like, themes or, or parts of yourself or, like, philosophies that, that are there? Because I feel... The like writing is. entirely. The writing is, is... The writing is definitely me. Yeah. I mean, if, if somebody... She's that she's one of my films, Freeway. I guess they know me better than they would just talking to me. Right. Um, you know, I write it from real deep, and and uh, and it comes out. You just got to learn to, you know, um, make your subconscious coherent. Otherwise, you're going to be, you know, doing something that might be neat. But I mean, it's kind of a wanker thing, you know, to okay. su subject people to that and. But, uh, you know, like our crumb, our crumb, I yeah. mean, you know, he's, that guy just opens his guts up for, you know, everything he does. He might be the greatest writer in America ever. <laughs> I don't know, but, um, certainly one of our greatest artists by far. And, and, uh, he said when he was a young man, fortunately, I started reading him when I was 10. Um, and it was totally by accident. You know, I was looking for something to read and I met my dad's work, which was the most boring thing in the world. And I have to wait five hours for him. And I went to a newsstand and I saw Fritz the cat and I grabbed it and, um, I was hooked on him from then on. I read everything he did. Uh, but, uh, even back then he, he said, I'm going to let my id come out entirely. I am just going to let it be out like a fire hose, which he did. And, and, uh, and we're all better for it. And it, it, it made everything he did wonderful. Yeah. And, and I think you can definitely tell, like, uh, you've seen the, the documentary about him, I'm guessing. Yeah. Uh, Terry, uh, Terry uh, Zweigoff. Zweigoff. Yeah. Um, yeah. great documentary. And, and you can 
you can kind of tell when you see a piece of art and you're like, oh, this this director's like really just being honest about himself. And right. it's usually like the better films and, and sometimes the films that kind of take a while for people to warm up to it. It freaks out the, the normies <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, that's interesting. Look at my Facebook page. There's a, a woman playing a, the very last thing I put in it. There's a woman playing this instrument called a Rudra Veena. It's like an instrument that went out of fashion a couple hundred years ago in India. And it shows her house. And it's in a forest in India, about 20 kilometers from the coast on the, uh, on the, um, west side of the country. Um, I'm going to go there. I'm going to live there. Absolutely. It's got a link to her house and where she lives. Take a look at it if you get a chance. Okay. You, yeah. you might tell and then we'll all be neighbors. There you go. That'd be nice. Yeah, we, we don't have to rely on Zoom then. Yeah. Uh, so India, is that where you think you'll like, are you actively going to try and go there next, you think? Yeah, that's my next, that's my next move. I got to go to this place. The temperature is bearable. Um, it's India. And yeah. and I've always wanted to do that and but find a place that's right. And this looks right. I mean, it looks like cashmere, but it, you, you're not going to get murdered. <laughs> Kashmir is one of the most beautiful places there is, and but it's dangerous. This place is just as good, or almost as good. Mm. So that's crazy. Mm. So it doesn't intimidate you at all to go live someplace you don't know anyone. You just you like the place you'll go there and figure things out when you get there. It's are you good I with do. languages? Can you pick up languages quickly, or do you just make if everyone I have else speak to, English? But I'm not okay. good with <laughs> yeah. it. But if I have to, I I get there. And also yeah. now I have this translation device. My girlfriend doesn't speak a word of English and my Portuguese is getting a little better and a little better, but still. So she's got her cell phone on translate. I've got mine on translate. I mean, we're doing it even in bed. It's, it's, it's all which, and there's something to be said about not speaking a language with your significant other because you can pretend there's someone that you've always wanted to be with, you know, and, and ascribe all these qualities to them. And so she thinks I'm the best person in the world because it's all in her head. <laughs> she, so she can't, can't understand what me. you're actually saying. Correct. Correct. <laughs> and, yeah. It's just what I can write with Same, my writing phone. Yeah. <laughs> that is crazy. It, so she, I can um, see why that'd be really gratifying though. Like the, the, what gets lost in translation is all the shit. Like this. That's so you yeah. just, good stuff yeah. yeah we've never had an argument we've never been uh we've never been at cross crosshairs we've never you know we've never done anything to offend one another and you never say something that you wish you hadn't said because you have to think about it when you're using your thumbs for every letter so so uh it's, it's great it's perfect wow it's, it's like a uh yeah like a self uh a secondary impulse control when you have to do yeah. it twice. You not just think it, but you also have to type it out and have some yeah. robot voice say it for you or translate it for you. Yeah. yeah. She wants children. So that, you know, um, we didn't have to go into any kind of long thing. And I just wrote, I might be dead by, you know, that time they're 10 years old. And she said, it's okay. I'll take care of it. I'll tell them all about you. Or I'll get a nice stepfather. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. So is she still in Brazil then? Do you do, go to Brazil yes. regularly? Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. And I'm going to go there. I got to get her. I, I want to get her to go to India with me. 
I know Brazil also has like a very limited, but uh, it has some level of uh, film industry too. Um, have you ever thought like, oh, maybe if you know I go there and you know compared to basically anybody else who walks in the room, you know, asking for a grant, it's like you know I've made these movies before. You know, you know Reese Witherspoon, you know, you know Matthew McConaughey. Like I'm the guy who's directed those. Like I could see you know them being very open to and also having something about the Brazilian sensibility. And I know because I'm half Brazilian, there's something a little bit more, you know, <laughs> you could say wonky or open to like kind of, you know, uh, the crazier sides of creativity. They're um, wild. It's a, it's yeah. a parallel civilization that has nothing to do with ours here. Yeah. But it's, but it, it developed, it's got all the technology and all of that, but it's a different universe. And uh, I've tried to make films in Mexico and I've tried to make films in Korea and I've tried to make and I'm starting to try to make films in Brazil. But it's really difficult. Nobody really wants to. Nobody's really thought about it that is in a position to do it. So I'm thinking of going to one of these countries and doing it with my own uh, with my own video camera. Just do it that way. If it's good enough, you know, um, then people won't be so. I mean, it won't be of the quality of, of you know, a, a Hollywood film or even a, 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 a low budget, you know, Hell's Angels on Wheels. But if, if it's good, but I, I won't have actors to use. I'll have to use real people. Um, yeah. That's been done in Brazil. Uh, that movie Pichote, I think it I was. That's the state. Pichote, yeah. 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 That kid, uh, the, the star got shot dead. Um, about 15 years ago, I guess, 10, 15 years ago. Terrible, terrible. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I'll say one thing for Brazil. It sure is dangerous. Jesus Christ. Yes, yeah, yeah it is. Um, I went out at 7 in the morning, and uh, my girlfriend, Daphne's uh, um, uncle, I didn't realize he had a metal, urge, a metal shop next door. Um, they make, like, bed frames and stuff. It's really funky it looks like something out of you know hephaestion's uh uh forge in goodfellas or something Ugh. and he grabs my arm and i i didn't know him i didn't know he was there he came up from behind me and this guy's there he said no no and we used the translation thing he said i'd be murdered within 10 minutes just walking there because they don't recognize me the only way I could walk in my neighborhood at her house, she had this little dog that, like, she'd let him out in the morning. He'd run around and he'd bite joggers, people jogging. He runs up and snaps at him, and he's running everywhere. And everybody knew him and liked him. But because I had the dog with me, I was okay. They recognized the dog, so I was huh. local, you know, instantly. Even if I didn't speak Portuguese, I was local. Yeah. Without the dog, instant robbery. Yeah. And and you give them any shit, they'll kill you. And yeah. uh, <laughs> I did. I don't know if I told Daphne. Daphne's a nurse. She's a COVID nurse right now. And when she was 12 years old, five guys got shot outside her front door. And she, she went out to the balcony where there's like bars. Everybody has that. Not balcony, the porch. And she looked out and she saw the paramedics come. And three of the guys were still alive and two were dead. And she was struck by how heroic and handsome they were. And decided she'd go into the uh, medical industry, medical field, oh. mm. and that's how she became a nurse. It's, it's, it's seen in a movie, right there. 
Yeah, Manaus is the most dangerous place. But then I looked up uh, uh, Salvador, and it's like the most beautiful city in Brazil. It's absolutely beautiful. And I read about it in Wikipedia. And it says it right in Wikipedia. Salvador is also home to 482 murderers. What's that? So these are people they know have committed murder that are living in the city. So I guess they get out like in Europe. You you, you go to jail for 10 or 20 years and then you're out. I, I think <laughs> yeah, there, there's a, a great uh, documentary. I think it's Bus 174. And it goes into that a little bit of like the, their prisons are just so overcrowded. So it doesn't matter if you, you know. Uh, murdered your entire family and the families of the next people, uh, you know, three people next door. It's like you're getting 15 years and then you're getting let out unless there's a riot in two years and then you're getting let out. Um, <laughs> and there's so, a, a shitty food, shitty. I mean, the poor people. I mean, yeah, but yeah. they're strong. People yeah. are strong and they have uh, wind, you know, they could, they're athletic. They're like, you know, and even along the, even along the, what passes for a sidewalk, it's just like this filthy river going by your house with 15 feet of garbage in it. And it's just moving slowly. And you see these places where they have bench presses made out of cement. It's a pipe that somebody cement to. They just built it. And there's people like pumping cement everywhere and, 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 they're terrifying. The poor people are just terrifying, and and and, uh, but I like it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's fun. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I uh, quick question because uh, with Shochi, um, I know that's uh, the director Harmony Kareen's favorite film, and I know he's done a lot of stuff with um, kind of non actors and, and kind of playing with the form. Um, is that a director that, that you have seen? I love him. Yeah. I love him. Yeah, I mean, that, uh, kids was one of the best horror movies I ever saw. And, yes. And, uh, that thing he did with, uh, uh the, what was with the cat traps kids. Oh, uh, Gummo. Yes. Gummo. Yeah. And, uh, I saw Gummo in a Campbell's soup commercial. I could not believe it. Um, yeah. Yeah, I love I love that guy, uh, Kareem. He's he's great. He's just great. He, he seems really. like one of those, you know, uh, creatives that that we were talking about. Where it really seems like, you know, you're getting an insight into his brain. It's like, oh wow, there's a lot here, and uh, for sure, and uh, him kind of letting his uh, id sort of dictate where what he does a lot of yeah. the time. Um. Okay. So before. Uh, we wrap up anything i just need to make sure we set something up or just kind of talk about next steps if we wanted to do a commentary like that we mm -hmm. like we were talking about um i want to defer to your preferences to your comfort level like i said i'm not really in the business of forcing anything to happen uh, well, i'm comfortable doing that yeah so yeah. how there's i think a couple ways we could do it which is um you know it's it's actually easy enough for us to watch the movie together if we uh -huh. wanted to do that like i could we could watch it through zoom i could record it and you could just talk through it if you want and we could be part right. of it that would be you fine could, you could do it on your own if you wanted 
Um, also, if there was someone like, I mean, I know it can be particularly fun if there was like someone you worked with the movie, worked on the movie with that would uh-huh. enjoy doing that with you or you would uh-huh. enjoy doing it with them. That would be kind of a cool way to do it, too, um, because they might, you know, you guys could kind of shoot the shit together about it. Um, but, you know, like I said, we can either do it where it's you just talking yourself. It could be us talking with you through the whole thing. It could be, like I said, you and a friend, um, and we can release it as a podcast, which would be just like essentially an audio clip that, and people do this all the time where it's an audio clip that people would play next to the movie. So like they would have it playing on their TV or their computer or whatever, and they'd have this audio playing as an unofficial commentary. Um, that's a way to do it. Um, we could, um, we could put like, uh, kind of pull the uh, parking brake for a bit on the project and just and kind of talk through more stuff and figure out if there was a more formal way we could do it if you'd prefer to do that if you'd rather have it be more of a production but um, it I just don't know how to get on. it to be a production I'd, I'd probably pick Brad Wyman as the guy that I would uh, use because yeah. he's good at stuff like that um, I love the idea of doing it like mystery science theater where you just yeah. see the back of their heads, you <laughs> yeah. know, turning, talking to each other with some yeah. little puppets or something. Yeah. Um, it would be awesome, you know, um, but just like really vulgar and dirty, you know, and, and filled with hate. Um, <laughs> 